guys and welcome back to modern day manual i know i sound like a robot honestly with the same old intro but that's only because i'm still trying to find a catchy intro that you guys will like it's honestly trickier than i thought it would be i don't know how these youtubers do it honestly i rate them um but just bear with me guys um today's episode is about motherhood and i have two lovely guests that will be joining me um on this episode and they will be sharing their labor experiences and how motherhood has been for them so shout out to Zainab and Anita for being so brave um and sharing their stories honestly this is probably by far one of my favorite episodes only because it's so insightful and um empowering um but i also just want to say thank you to everyone that continuously shows support i honestly appreciate it so much um and i also have something coming up real soon so stay tuned for that um and a bit of a disclaimer i had some technical difficulties with this episode due to it being recorded on a zoom conference so just ignore that um i will be using a completely different sound software for my next ep- episode um and that will obviously make everything sound a bit more better um but other than that i hope you guys enjoy this episode um and i'm just going to get started right, guys i've got my two lovely guests here i've got anita and zainab do you guys want to introduce yourselves where you guys from sure hi ilhan hazay thank you for having me on the podcast um i feel very honored to be asked to share my story and any insights that I can um, give to you out there. Um, My name's Anita. I am currently living in Tasmania, Australia. Um, I have two beautiful kitties, a almost three-year-old little boy named Artias and a 10-week-old baby girl named Aura. Um, I have a lovely partner named Jordan and yeah, just living that that mum life currently. Zainab, do you want to introduce yourself? Hey guys, my name is Zainab. Obviously, I'm from Australia as well, living in the Northern Territory, Darwin. I'm a mother to a 18-month-old baby girl called Aisha, married, student, part-time worker, and yeah, thank lovely you. to meet you all. And thank you so much for having us no on worries. here today. Thank you. I, I I thought I'd also make a side note that we're all family as well. <laughs> I think oh, yeah, the in-laws. Um, uh, they're lovely, beautiful kitties. I'm aunt and auntie to them. Um, and I thought they would be the best to talk about um, motherhood and how it was for them. Um, you guys want to get started on the first question. I kind of wanted you guys to maybe, instead of jumping into like obviously parenting principles and stuff like that, I thought maybe it'd be um, a good way to start if you guys were um, comfortable to share your labor story. Mm-hmm. Sure. Do you want me to go first, say, or? Oh, you can go ahead. I don't mind. Yeah. All righty. Yeah. Okay. So, um, two births um completely different like night and day um for artesis birth i um i prepared my whole pregnancy i read all the books gentle birth gentle mothering spiritual midwifery free birth books i watched so many youtubes um of like iname gaskin she's one of the most um influential midwives in america um I took birth yoga classes. I dragged Jordan along to birth classes. Like I was so determined to have a natural birth. And then um, at about 37 weeks, I found out that he was breech. And um, I had not prepared, like I'd prepared for every other scenario except for that. (laughs) Um, I don't know why I didn't think that I'd be capable of having a breech baby, but that was my destiny. So anyway, um, I found out that he was breech and I obviously wasn't educated on um, breech presentation. And so I just, uh, I was getting all my information from the, from my midwife and from my obstetrician. Um, and I actually found an obstetrician that was willing to um, help me deliver him naturally. Yeah. But there were, there were things that he... I mean, there were certain things that had to be just right for him to 
be happy with um, delivering the baby. So he had to be in like full breech presentation, which means he has both his legs up. And unfortunately, he put one of his legs down during one of my ultrasounds and the obstetrician was basically just like, if you try to deliver this baby, like he might die, you might kill him. And hearing that as a first time mother, obviously like that petrified me. And I left that appointment just so gutted and bawling my eyes out and just feeling so defeated. Yeah. Um, and anyway, so um, his, uh, my C-section was scheduled and I had him by a C-section um, and it was honestly like, it was, it was, it was a beautiful birth experience in a way. Um, yeah. The team that delivered him, uh, they, like they, they were happy with a lot of my requests, like in the, in the operating room, I asked for the lights to be dimmed. I had my meditation music playing. I um, asked for like immediate skin to skin contact, delayed cord clamping, because um, I don't know if you guys know, but um, your baby needs, your baby needs all the blood that it can get from its placenta in the early stages because their lungs aren't functioning optimally yet. So yeah. um so anyway, so they you prepared yourself or like you prepared yourself pretty well because I feel like some mothers don't really um understand quite much, especially in their first pregnancy. So it's like they pretty much trust the the medical team to do everything that is best exactly. for them. But then it's like exactly. you also have to kind of take the time to educate yourself and what works for you because it might not be the same yeah yeah exactly right yeah your books came in anita yeah yeah i only had like as i said i found out at 37 weeks that he was breached so i only had really like one week to prepare myself for a um c-section delivery so i researched all the things i could and found out that yeah you can actually um request a few things to make it a bit more um you know a bit more i don't know how you would like it like with Mm -hmm. the dim lights and whatever yeah um anyway so he was born like that and um yeah i really struggled i really struggled with uh healing and not only physically but like emotionally after that birth now that i look back on it i didn't realize at the time but i definitely was struggling with like some postpartum issues for sure um anyway so yeah that was his birth um and with aura's birth Oh, by the way, like after his birth, I was dead set, like not on having any more kids. Like it turned me off so bad. And it wasn't until about two years later that I actually felt healed enough and strong enough Mm -hmm. that I would like to have some more kids. So Mm -hmm. anyway, when I fell pregnant with Aura, it was so, it was, it was the most excited I'd been in so long and I was determined for this birth to be completely different. And so I started looking into um, home birth. Yeah. At the time I was not, um, I was not considering like doing it completely on my own, but the more I started researching and seeing women all over the world who had taken back their own birth and, and done it themselves and done it like easily. I was like, well, why can't I do that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Amazing. Um, so anyway, I feel like I'm dragging on, but is this okay? <laughs> yeah. We want to hear every bit of the story, which is why I kind of <laughs> let you. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll continue then. So yeah, with Aura's, um, with Aura's birth, I um, actually joined a course um, by these awesome ladies in um, America. It's called the free, uh, the complete guide to free birth. Um, and it literally goes over everything, like every sort of complication that can go wrong. It goes over, um, the different stages of birth. It goes over, uh, supplies and everything that you would need for a birth, which is really not much by the way. Um, and anyway, so I, I prepared myself so much. I, one of my major preparations was actually watching a lot of natural, free birth YouTube videos and um, reading lots of birth stories and listening to their podcast mm-hmm. just so that I would, um, I mean, cause in, 
in society we always see like in movies and uh things like that is horrific painful yeah. birth where with, with people like with their legs up screaming mm-hmm. and like there's no there's no good uh stories out there so the mind works by like obviously if i have that in my mind i'm going to go into my birth and i'm going to be like i'm going to be scared myself but if i'm watching all these natural healing births where the, the mothers are smiling and they're laughing and you know what i mean um they're crying I, out of joy yeah they're crying out of joy it's so much different like the mind the mind's crazy anyway so that's that's what i did and um stigma around it it kind of already has like any like anything that kind of portrays or shows giving birth it's kind of a very overwhelming experience it doesn't really kind of be sightful as like it doesn't really tell you like giving birth is a beautiful experience like I feel like a lot of um females that go through that whole process they're kind of already scared and worried and, and then it's like if you spend your first couple of try your first trimester oh hello what happened i'm not quite sure Hey, Ilhan, you there? Hello. Something's happened. Hello. Yeah. Hi. Can you hear me now? You guys can hear me? Yeah, yeah. I don't know what happened. We had a bit of a technical <laughs> difficulty. But um, as I was saying, um, I just feel like you kind of already got that fearful mindset. And then it's like, well, what good is that going to do you? I, and not a lot of people kind of feel comfortable to share their experiences as well. Yeah, 100%. And having that fearful in your body like you're already setting yourself back like there's no way you're going to be able to give birth naturally if you're so you know worried and stressed and mm-hmm. fearful of the pain and whatever so um anyway the um other preparation I did I did like a, a hypnobirthing course which basically taught me how to get in like the ultimate zen for birth Mm-hmm. So um, between contractions and stuff, I would literally just be like in my own little land uh, in meditation, basically mm-hmm. breathing, uh, focusing, visualizing her moving down my, um, like my vaginal canal mm-hmm. and just visualizing the perfect birth. And this wasn't just in, um, in labor, by the way, this was, I was doing this for weeks and weeks before, mm-hmm. um, before she even came, just visualizing what I wanted to happen and um <laughs> on the day it kind of I mean it went similar but I missed out on my uh birth pool birth pool experience that didn't happen <laughs> um and I ended up actually giving birth to her on the toilet so that's the story that I can tell her at the 18th birthday that party. was the most that, I didn't I didn't know whether you gave birth on the toilet <laughs> or not because they because when I was in labor I felt like I wanted to piss myself and shit myself and sorry yeah, um, sorry awesome. for over expressing but I wanted to go to the toilet and the nurse was kept telling me oh if you go to the toilet you're gonna get you might give birth <laughs> and your baby yeah. might go down the toilet oh, so, okay I'm like, I don't know what movie I watched but I I don't know some tv show that I watched had a baby stuck in a pipeline Oh, that's oh my God. Yeah, it happens. So, yeah, mm. damn, girl, you're lucky. Oh yeah, no. So, um, I actually knew, like, well, I was in my room laboring for most of the time with my, um, with Jordan. And I was like, oh, Jordan, I need to go to the toilet. Like, I feel like I need to poo. But having research and knowing all that I do, like, I knew that this was potentially like her wanting to be born because you get the urge to just let your bowels go and everything um so i went to the toilet and then inspiring that you kind of took that control back and kind of wanted to control your your whole pregnancy because i feel like a lot of people are not really confident um and they Mm. think 
that the medical team knows best for them. But I feel like if you are doing your research and you're doing your courses and stuff like that, then that kind of allows you to take that control. And why should somebody else have control of your pregnancy? Do you know what I mean? Um, The way I see it, guys, is 90% of the time, your midwife or your nurse is sharing their fears with you. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, 100%. 100%. Cause and you know, you know your body better than anyone. So. That's what I'm saying. So it's like the fact that you educated yourself and you did all these courses is very, very, very quite inspiring. And you kind of have to have a very strong mindset for that. I personally don't think I could ever do that. I don't have... I, I'll, I'll probably do it the lazy way. I'd sure. stick to just literally going to the hospital because I'm lazy like that. But the fact that you went out of your way, <laughs> all these courses beforehand, prepare yourself um, for these type of birth, like your birth experience is kind of very, very inspiring. Um, I kind of might want to do that. You know, <laughs> I'm like, oh, you know, I might do these courses. I'm like hearing your story now. I'm just like, I want to be in, in control of my own pregnancy as well. You know, and I feel like a lot of people um, might listen to this and be like, oh, well, if she did her own birth experience, maybe I can too. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was honestly super empowering. And mm-hmm. the reason, like I could have just gone to the hospital too, but because I know all I know and about birth, birth, I mean, if you look to the wild, if you look at animals, like if you look at your cat, for example, mm-hmm. when they when they go into labour, they they disappear. They find like a little a little hole hideaway somewhere, and they're undisturbed. They're they're relaxed. They're you know out of direct light. They're around, out of noise and whatever. That's that is the perfect environment for birth. Mm-hmm. But in hospital, it's the complete opposite. Like you have people you don't even know coming in your room. You have people t- sticking their hands up, giving you yeah, cervical you. examinations, touching you, stressing you out. Mm-hmm. Um, and the hormones that work for birth and the hormones that make labour easy, mm-hmm. um, are, they're not, they're not, like they're not, they're, they don't get a chance to work properly in a hospital setting. And that's when you get old, that's when you get the cascade of interventions. You know, they say, oh, your labor's not progressing. We're going to have to give you some oxytocin to, in, to, you know, to make contractions come faster. And then some women can't handle that. The contractions come too fast. They end up tearing or, you know, the baby ends up getting distressed and they end up having to have an emergency C-section. So a lot of the time you actually safer to be in a home setting i'm not saying to go on free birth but you know get a get a midwife get someone who can come and help you give birth naturally like we've been doing for thousands of years you know what i mean yeah that's that's really understand wow that is like that is so spot on anita i appreciate i appreciate being in the northern territory for one reason they let me pick and choose what I wanted to do during my labor, even if it meant that I was like, typically when you guys came to visit me, you, Ari, Jordan and Fozia, nobody should be in the room other than the father. Mm-hmm. But yeah. um, due to requests and the fact that I kept repeating, I have family coming. They have to come see me before and after. Before and after. They let it happen. Like they were very mindful to my requests because they just wanted me to stay happy and calm. Yeah. Yeah. But like some places like able to do it in the comfort of your own home having no one there you say what happens in your house you say what comes and goes but literally a state of mind and i feel like you'd actually have to be able to multitask because you might you need to be like give me this give me that like you have to really have a proper mindset for that whole experience and i and i honestly condemn you and you know like because i don't think a lot of people are able to do that or have that strong enough mindset to do that. I feel like it's something they kind of need to obviously educate themselves beforehand yeah. um, you definitely yeah. need to learn it. so I could I've literally <laughs> hats off to you because I don't think I could personally do it but um, would, I, would. I ask is, as soon as whether it might have been Adi or Aura or even Zay um, as soon as you guys immediately gave birth did you feel like you adapted to motherhood straight away, like as soon as your baby came out of you? Or do you feel like it took you a certain months or, or certain uh, maybe a year or so to fully... Girl, <laughs> that's a straightforward question because you're like, you're nesting and like cooking a whole entire bun in the oven for nine months. 
Mm-hmm. So you've got nine months to mentally, physically, emotionally prepare yourself to be a mother. I don't know, when Aisha, when, when Aisha, when I gave birth to Aisha, she latched on straight away. Um, it's just her mouth was a bit too small. Other than that, like, it was just complete bond from there. Like, the last hours of giving birth, I was just like, I just can't wait to meet her. I just want to meet this human being that made me vomit for seven months straight out of my nine months. I was like, I just want to cuddle this person. And the first thing that I saw was Spike Lee and a lot of hair. And that's when I knew where all the gastro and all of the vomiting. So it's just, it's, it's an amazing, it's an amazing feeling. I don't know how to explain it, but it's, it was just, I don't know. Seeing Aisha, did you feel like amazing. a mother? Did you feel like you were a mother as soon as the baby yeah. came out, or did you feel yeah. like I haven't? Yeah, because I had Ali. I had Ali. I had Ali on the side reading the Adam. Say also say, babe, we're parents. I'll be hoyer. I'll be hoyer. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It was cute. It was cute. And yes, I did. I did feel that rush of motherhood. Like I just, I was preparing for such long period of time nine months did you feel like you adapted uh, straight away or was it something that gradually had to happen um i as i said like with Adi, i i struggled a little bit in the beginning um i i reckon it took a little bit of time honestly it took a little bit of time and i was so sleep deprived Mm -hmm. and i was recovering from this massive surgery so it definitely took a bit of time. I'm not going to lie. Or was it a natural birth? With Adi, my first? Yeah, because you said you had to recover from surgery. So it was just... Yeah, no, it was a C-section. Oh, yeah, see. That, yeah. that can be quite overwhelming, especially with people that have the C-section. It's like they kind of have to worry about healing as well as being a mother and breastfeeding and just doing 100%. a lot of things. So it's like that can be very quite overwhelming did any of you guys get an epidural i did it didn't work do you feel like you have um like has that affected you after your pregnancy because a lot of people are like don't get the epidural and you know i feel like whenever you tell someone you're pregnant they tell you the do's and don'ts like don't do this and don't do that and you're like well um can i have it do i not have a say in what happens within my pregnancy they're like don't do this Stay away from this. Don't do that. And you're just like, um, so I heard the thing is, the thing is, it doesn't, what affects you may not affect me. You know what I mean? Everything that I do may be beneficial towards you and not benefit me in in a certain way. You know what I mean? Um, I've always had back issues because I've been playing sports since I was seven years old. Yeah. Um, that makes it 21 years this year. So I've, I've got a lot of sport yeah. injuries all over my body. Mm-hmm. Um, but epidural to me was a waste mm-hmm. because I hated the ladies coming in with the ice bag and putting it on my toes, my feet, my thighs, my stomach. And I kept telling them, just stop. I'm <laughs> feeling it all. Like, it doesn't matter. I just stop. Yeah. And they wouldn't stop because, Allah, hey, guys. Yeah. It's telling me that this meeting no longer has time. Oh, no. Oh, good. Oh, good. Sorry. Um, what do you call it? And, yeah, but the gas, I wouldn't recommend the gas over the epidural because epidural, you get jabbed, it works for you. It's in your back. It numbs you up. You don't feel the contraction pains. But yeah. the gas, on the other hand, I didn't know how to speak. I didn't know how to think. I don't know. I couldn't even breathe properly. They kept telling me your heart palpitations are too much. You know, we need. They had to do an EKG on my heart because I was just, I just couldn't breathe properly. It's either I was breathing too much or too fast, or wasn't getting enough oxygen in me, and just it was just my whole entire induction was just a whole entire mess because they wouldn't listen. Some of the nurses wouldn't, sorry, I shouldn't say nurses because the midwives were actually good to me. Some of the doctors that kept coming to me wouldn't listen to what I was telling them. And I'm trying to tell them that, hey, this is my body. This is what I feel. This is, you know, epidurals doing nothing for me. Can you guys remove it? It's uncomfortable in my back. I'm so itchy down there. And they're like, oh, it's because of the, it's because of the, um, whatever gooey stuff that they put on my back so that the sticky tape doesn't get stuck on my skin. All of these, they give more excuses than the excuse book. Yeah. But at the same time, like like I said, epidural gas works differently for everybody. It may work with you, may not work with you. 
for my, for personally me speaking, I am not going to do epidural again because I know that it's a sort of anesthetic that doesn't work for me. Yeah. happened to me previously with removing my wisdom teeth all four of my wisdom teeth got removed and i felt all the pain and believe it or not jordan was with me anita and he was trying to record it and they wanted to kick him out of the room out of the operating room but i refused for him to leave because i was so scared <laughs> <laughs> but yeah for my wisdom teeth for all four of my wisdom teeth they had to get drilled out and he was there to hold my hand through it <laughs> <laughs> it was so awesome, also scared. So it never worked for me then. I should have taken pointers, but back then I was a lot younger. Um, but yeah, broken bones, um, fractured, fractured broken bones, popped muscles, strained ligaments. Wow. Morphine's never helped. Morphine's never helped. Endo's never helped. So next child, if I ever, you know, decide to have another child. No hardcore medication is going to be needed because I know my body's not used. My my body's not going to get used to it as fast as as fast as other people, um, because after using epidural and that much gas, I don't know if you remember Anita, but when I was in the hospital one day, I was just space cadet, and my whole body I just didn't feel like myself. My whole yeah. body was just worn out. I felt like a train ran over it. I had baby blues. I was just like, oh my god, I, she's finally here. She's really here. You know, like, oh my gosh, it's finally here. But at the same time, I felt like my arms were just wobbly. My knees were shaky. My head was aired out. And every time I'd ask the nurse, like, you know, when am I going to feel better? They kept saying, oh, it should have been four hours ago. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, yeah. everything that should have kicked in during my labor kicked in after my labor. Yeah. So it was, it was, a, bit, it was a bit much. It was a bit much. <laughs> I know, never again. <laughs> so like did you say, Zainab, did you, you had those injuries from your birth? No, no, no. I've had all of those sorts of injuries growing up, like from different mm -hmm. times of um, my childhood, adult, teenage, teenager, then um, adulthood. And nothing's ever worked in regards okay. to pain relief. So I should have kind of known that I was, it wasn't going to work. But then again, I was in a different, <laughs> uh, my labor was a different space for me. It was a space that I was unfamiliar with. So anything to get rid of the pain that I was feeling because I had to be induced for Aisha to be born because at, at term because my placenta was defacing so I was already in a lot of pain with the way Aisha was positioned in my stomach and she had already been crowning so all the pains that I was already feeling and then them putting like you said putting fingers and stuff up you they had to put a, a balloon up me to help me dilate um mm -hmm. it didn't really work because it kept falling out because I was already too dilated by 8 a.m when my water broke they slowed down my labor because they didn't want to stress Aisha out. And then that's the point where I was just like, I can't take, every time she moves, it's a different sort of pain. Like I was getting dizzy. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know to scream, laugh or cry. I was just having mixed emotions and me generally being a talkative person mm -hmm. and me generally being a loud person, a good communicator, I did not know how to communicate what I was feeling. Until Ali got there and Ali's just like, yeah, I think you should give her a break now. Like Ali became my servant because you could see my face and my eyes. At one stage, he's like, "Yeah, he's like, I think you're in so much pain." He's like, "You put your head backwards and your eyes went cross-eyed." I'm like, "Yeah, I couldn't breathe." <laughs> um, that's the only reason why I chose epidural and gas, and it didn't work. And if it worked, and when it did decide to work, it worked like eight hours after I gave birth. I feel like epidural is like something that works for people and doesn't work for other people um, exactly so a quick random question in during your pregnancy what were you guys craving this is a question i ask everyone that watermelon 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 and mangoes and mangoes um during um during artisa's birth all i craved was chips and gravy <laughs> Oh yeah, and Luxa. Hello. Sorry, not birth. Sorry. During my pregnancy, I craved chips and gravy, and then with um, aura. You, you, know, you were having lux. You were eating Luxa a lot, basically every day. <laughs> was I? I can't even remember now. Yeah. With Aura's pregnancy, I just ate anything. <laughs> oh my! God, I loved Anita and Aura's pregnancy. <laughs> I loved Anita when she was pregnant with Aura. She had she had taste buds for anything and everything, <laughs> and seeing that Anita being um, vegan was quite exciting because 
I like being complimented for my food. And like every time Anita came over, there was food cooking and like she'd do my taster. <laughs> um, up until um, she decided to have more cravings for beef, eggs and all of that. Like we went to Catherine and she woke up one morning and she's like, I need free range eggs. I was like, hey. <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah. You vegan. Was, and she's like, this baby's taking the vegan out of me. Anita's that just like, huh? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't remember this. <laughs> no, I don't remember. <laughs> during, the end of my, during the end of my pregnancy with Aura, I started having like severe food aversions to everything that I had previously been eating for like six years. Like my morning smoothie, I would literally hurl it up five minutes later. So um, the only thing I could actually stomach for months was like eggs on toast. So I was eating so much eggs on toast. Um, and then I was, I was like, well, I can't just continue to eat eggs on toast. Mm -hmm. um, so that's when I started having dreams of like uh, beef burgers. So I woke, up, <laughs> I woke up the next day and I got John to go get me a, a beef burger from Grilled. Um, and yeah, so my vegan my vegan journey ended during that pregnancy oh my god and i haven't i haven't my mom was so happy to see you eat um pasta with um <laughs> minced meat my mom's like because anita's always like oh, i want a girl you know and my mom's like definitely inshallah your next child will be a girl and my mom saw anita and she's like mashallah she whispers to me she's definitely having a girl i can see it through her and i'm like tell it to her mashallah tawarakallah you know and she's like i'm too shy there's everyone here and then anita happily sat next to mom and i'm like anita mom reckons you're gonna have a girl and she's like oh her, your face went tomato out of excitement by the way um being light-skinned <laughs> unfortunately you can go red <laughs> um what do you call it and then anita's like oh thank you and then out of nowhere she starts eating Basta and 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 he looks sheet and my mom's just looking at her and she's like, "Well, damn." She's like, "Keep eating, keep eating, keep eating." I like that vegan. She's, you know, my mom calls vegan food plastic. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's a whole other story. <laughs> but, hey, it was a good journey, man. I learned a lot. That 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 I might have to get you back on my podcast for talking about your whole vegan journey, inshallah, soon. Um, yeah, but definitely. how would you guys describe motherhood in like three words? If you had to describe it in three words in your own personal lives, how would you describe it? Mm. There life you go. <laughs> life changing. Yeah. Um, life changing, rewarding, and uh, the biggest blessing. Oh, that's actually lovely. That's so cute. What about Honestly, and I think it's the same for Anita as well. I can speak for both of us on this. No, song. you cannot speak for both. Anita, okay, give us a <laughs> Zainab took my words out of my mouth. <laughs> I told you, I told you. <laughs> it is. It's life changing. It's, it's a massive um, learning curve. Mm -hmm. It's. Uh, it's I've grown the most I have I have in my entire life in these few short years just because of my babies you know what I mean incredible honestly that's yeah so um what was like the biggest fear you guys had during your pregnancy like one big fear that you guys had uh the second pregnancy this one with aura I one of my biggest fears that I had to work on and work through to be able to get to the point that I got to was, I mean, obviously I had hundred percent responsibility for her birth. And so one of the fears I had was that she could die in my hands, but I, um, I worked through that because I thought, well, she could die in the hospital too. So there's always a chat. There's always a risk of death and that's just life. So I, I worked through that and, um, fortunately, I didn't go into my birth with that on my on my shoulders. That's good. good on you. you know, during that whole good process of being pregnant, there's a lot of fears. But I feel like, Anita, in your case, it was kind of a bit different only because you did take the time to educate yourself of all the um, circumstances and what would happen. So I feel like um, a lot of people who aren't really as prepared have kind of more fears, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Because they don't know what, sure. 
what's happening and they're like going to the hospital to be taken care of but then I feel like the hospital sometimes doesn't prepare you for things like that um uh, no they give you easy ways out they give you medication they like sugarcoat it and they're like yeah let's have a baby and then you're just like oh okay and then it's like anything that happens in between that you're just you just are unaware of that whole um process but i think i won't talk for all hospitals they divert they divert your chain of thought most of the time literally Um, what about you like what what fears did you have uh, what fears? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I have a lot of fears, but um, give us one of them. That you I guess. I guess through the eyes and prayers, mm-hmm. I tend to forget about my fears. Mm-hmm. Um, but can you um, repeat the question? So the question was, what was um, what was like the, the greatest fear of pregnancy yeah the biggest fear um, of your pregnancy and it has to be like it would i'm not has to sorry um it could be something that during your whole pregnancy that was oh my goodness my lordness my vomiting was out of control mm-hmm. i couldn't keep anything down mm-hmm. and that used to scare me they put like at the start of my pregnancy when i did the sugar test i came back really high gestational diabetic and that was because my sugar intake was too much i'm not gonna lie i had lollies and everything underneath my pillow easy access to take food it was pretty bad and i had ebion with me ali's sister and me and her would go for 2 a.m drive for cheeseburgers it was bad um so i made myself gestational diabetic and nothing about it um but then when i educated myself on it and seek the help that i needed to make sure that you know, my blood levels, my sugar levels are not too high, too low. Um, I decided to start eating different foods to give my taste buds a different taste, but it never worked. And because I was vomiting so much, I was crying every time I vomited saying, I'm going to kill my baby. This is going to kill my baby. She's not going to, she's not going to come out with any meat. She's not going to come out with any bones. She's going to be basically nothing. I'm sick of this. I can't keep anything down. And then wheat weeks came, became life. Like breakfast, lunch, dinner with bananas. Because the only thing I could keep down, but then the doctors were like, you need to have something else that's solid. Mm -hmm. And I'd start eating bread by itself. So my biggest fear was just either having a miscarriage or like having a stillbirth due to my hypo syndrome of vomiting. And like I would shiver as if, as if like I have been in the Antarctic with no clothes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and I'd have blue mouth, I'd have red eyes, I'd have bloodshot red eyes as if my eyes want to come out of my face. But they were called, um, I forgot what they were called, but they're bloodshots in the eyes. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I just looked, I looked hideous. I didn't feel like myself at one stage. And just, it was just a ball of emotions I mean, for it's me. It's funny now because Aisha's actually the cutest little chubby baby ever. And the oh, thank you. Mashallah. <laughs> <laughs> She came up, with, uh, you know. She came up really chubby and healthy, mashallah. So. She came, she actually came out really tiny and tall, actually. And she ca- she came out a little bit jaundiced. So she spent, mm-hmm. I think, I think four and a half days in the nuke mm-hmm. because she she was jaundiced and a little bit a little bit underweight. Um, so she was born about two and a half. She was born with about two and a half kilos of weight and then dropped just under two three. Mm-hmm. Um, so they just want to now, I think like now, like, mashallah, she's oh, she's booming, she's booming, driving, and that's yeah, she's growing really fast, mashallah, mashallah, that's very true. She's got her dad's jeans, she's gonna be tall, <laughs> um, she's gonna be taller than her mummy, her mummy's gonna stay midget, <laughs> um, mashallah, but yeah, she is booming, and that was my only fear. And that was caused due to all my vomiting and uncontrolling it and not being able to feel like myself for a period of time. But I feel like a lot of people are very, um, can be very opinionated and entitled to tell you how to raise your kids and they will tell you things that worked for them and their teachings and their principles. Um, What do you feel like is the best advice you've ever received um, knowing that you'd obviously let people tell you how to do things. What's one advice that's helped you during your whole uh, motherhood j- journey? Um, 
I'm getting you live in the moment. <laughs> My mom always told me to live in the moment, take every day as it comes because not every day is going to be the same day. That's being a mom, and mom, yeah, she always, always, always told me, listen to your own gut instinct before anyone else's, because at the end of the day, you may, you, you may have the feeling that's better, that's a better decision than someone telling you. Mm-hmm. And I was very fortunate to have mum throughout my pregnancy and also my birth, the first three months of Aisha's life as well. Um, and that's all I did. Everybody that kept telling me different things, it kept going in one ear out of the other, unless I actually asked people questions in regards to certain things that I wasn't prepared for. But nothing can really prepare you for your first child, really. It's like, you know, you have to mentally be there for yourself, physically be there for yourself and emotionally look after yourself as well, you know, in trying to get to know a whole entire human that's going to be relying on you for the rest of their lives. You know what I mean? And our best examples are our parents. And we're very fortunate for both of us, both myself and Anita, to have our mothers around, mm-hmm. you know. So alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. That's actually, that's yeah. actually really, really true. Um, but I feel like there's also things that people do not tell you at all during the whole pregnancy. <laughs> it's one thing that surprises <laughs> that literally surprise you. You're like, whoa, I didn't expect this. How come no one ever, to- ever told me about it? It happens. I said it so many times in the first six months of Aisha's birth. <laughs> but there are some things that humans can never really prepare you for. Only a real-time life experience can really prepare you for certain aspects that take place. I think a lot of people prefer, prepare so much for the birth, but they forget to like look into how like how they're going to parent, what, what type of parenting style they want to have, and they just think that they have to do everything the good and the bad the way that they were raised and it's actually not true like you can you can you can research you can find out different things about you know child development and and how their brains work and you can you can imp- you can take the good from your parents but you can also try to like implement uh, break those break those generational curses you know what i mean i feel like it's all about implementing obviously new um parenting principles obviously because we this like every year is a different year and every year is like consisting of like new kids and new ways of doing things and etc so I feel like a lot of people I think maybe sometimes it's due to I feel like personally me I'm not going to speak for everybody it's kind of an a, a, a lazy approach in in my opinion because I feel like it's like you're just using what you were taught but then sometimes it's like you kind of need to go out of your way to also teach your kids um, about the generation they're living in because it's going to be completely different as to how your parents raised you. Does that make sense? There's also something to obviously take with you. I'm not saying to completely ignore what the teachings your parents have taught you, but it's also good to have your style as well because your parents are not always going to be with you. It's going to be you and your kids and it's all about um, creating um, a style that suits you and your household. Does that make sense? Um, so since we're speaking on this topic do you guys believe in like physically disciplining your child uh i i definitely believe children need um discipline makes me think of a quote from a book i'm actually reading at the moment Mm -hmm. where she says that lack of discipline isn't kindness it's neglect Mm -hmm. so i definitely think kids need to be disciplined but i don't believe in like corporal punishment um, I don't hit my children. I, um, if I had to, if I had to put a label on the type of parenting that I aspire to, it's like positive, um, gentle parenting. So I don't, like, I don't, I don't discipline with shame. I, like, so you won't find me like saying, "Atias, like that's, you know, you're a bad boy. Like that's, that's not good. Mummy's very angry at you. I'll try and, I, I speak to him like I would like to be um, spoken to. Spoken to, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. I treat, I treat my daughter the way I would like to be treated. She's my little princess, you know. She's my little, she's my everything, you know what I mean? So why would I, why would I discipline her in any other way? I want her to be disciplined the way she, when she grows up, she perceives the world. Whether she's different or not, she'll be yeah. able to say, hey, you know. Because, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, kids that were disciplined more than others are violent or not violent because I've worked in education for a long period of time and, you know, I was shocked 
when I was pregnant with Aisha, I was working out bush and out in Tyndall outside Catherine mm -hmm. and one kid just kept, and I was working with my mum, and one kid just kept grabbing his hula hoop and whacking my mum across the head. Oh and I just kept getting sensitive. And I'm just like, stop it. That's not nice. That's not, that's not okay. And he told me to shut up. And I was like, oh, that's a bit harsh coming from a kid. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's hectic. And he turns around and he starts whacking my mum again. My mum's had an open brain surgery, so I was a bit more sensitive. <laughs> More bit more, and then on top of that, I was pregnant. Um, but then the kid kept doing it, and then his mum, when she came to pick him up, she's a police officer. And I hope I, I hope she never listens to this because <laughs> that's what I define as a bad parent. Because the moment I told her, Oh, your son was a little bit rough on the play tools, he whacked another educator across the head with the hula hoop more than once, and he wouldn't listen, he told me to shut up. She slapped him right in front of me. <gasps> not across the cheek, not across the bum, not across the arm, the back of his head. And that's the reason right there that he is violent. He's <laughs> reacting like that. So everything that he's taking from his household, he's bringing to other environments because like you, it doesn't you go any the other way. They mimic the behavior of the parents. That's why I feel like it's exactly. mindful. I'm and going through it right now. Aisha, I tell her, mommy, stop. She'll tell me no. <laughs> stop. <laughs> like legit yesterday I was like, I was like stop and then she's like you stop so it's this is the best time from one and a half till they're about six years of age it's the best time to pay attention and nurture discipline in 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 a way you you like to be disciplined even as an adult we, we're not perfect we're going to make mistakes every minute of any day that comes you know that we're blessed with you know, but, you know, how do we get disciplined? We get spoken to, you know, even at work when we do something wrong, is our manager going to yell at us and talk to us um, any way that they don't want to be spoken to? No, they're going to have a debrief. They're going to have, they're going to make improve, they're going to make improvement plans. Exactly. Do the same at your own home. You cook, you clean, you do it with, you do it with, you know, you do it with your heart, you know, discipline your child with your heart, you know, just yeah. talk to them, make them understand and just... I kind of talk to my to to my toddler like like a CEO. So like if he hits or something, I'm like you know, I tell you, if you don't hit, I won't let you hit. And like if he goes to do it again, I'll I'll block his hands or whatever. But um, I'll never like, I'll never retaliate. Yeah. Myself. That's actually a um, very good like. I'm not gonna lie. I I bum shack Aisha like I go stop it on the bum, but it's never. It's never to hurt her. It's just to get her attention that she's doing something wrong. But it's it's just to like, you know, stop it. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, so many parents do hit their kids, and I I believe that you can never, you can't, you can't hit someone out of love. Like that's not loving at all. They must be real angry at themselves for doing that to you. That's the way I see it. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. It's more about the parents' inability to handle big emotions than the kid than what the kid actually the does. Of them not being able to control, um, not yeah. their anger. Like they're a bit more. Um, what's the word? Oh, I completely forgot the word. But um, like, I just feel like they they're kind of not really in control of their emotions. They kind of just literally react out of instinct straight away. And I feel like um, obviously parents like that do need to, you know, obviously be more intact with their emotions and obviously show their kids because if their kids mimic that behavior and take that outside with them, then it's like, as soon as your kids grow up, it's like, who do you really have to blame um, once they kind of take whatever they <sighs> out of their home into the society? Who is really to blame? Do you know what I mean? A hundred percent me if I've done, if I've played a part in it, mm -hmm. because kids, you know, kids and toddlers and babies, they don't know how to control their emotions, where mm -hmm. they're safe go, where they're, where they're confident. So when they're crying, it's someone like myself being a mother to Aisha, that's mm -hmm. going to assure her that it's okay. You know, babies <laughs> stress themselves you know we may be adults and know how to deal with our stresses but babies don't you know and kids don't know how to deal with what's stressing them out they know that it's bothering them they're crying about it or they're yelling about it or they're reacting throwing a tantrum a behavior tantrum any sort of tantrum mm -hmm. they, they just need someone like their parent 
to sit down, get down to their level and assure them that it's going to be okay and just cuddle them while they still cry. They're not going to automatically stop crying or stop acting out a certain way, but mm-hmm. you just gotta, you just got to be that person for them. If you're not that person for them, they're going to run away from you. That's when mm-hmm. you start to raise yeah. behavioral kids. You need to be what your kids need to need you to be. You know what I mean? And I hundred percent. Whenever I feel like, obviously, especially when it comes to like, for example, with the whole mental health um, issue, like within the Somali community, it's kind of a bit of a taboo. Like when your kids come to you about something, it's kind of they retaliate, and that's it. And it's like, oh no, read Quran. Oh no, pray. Oh no, this. Be what your kids need you to be. If your kid is coming to you and saying, "Mom, um, I had a really bad day. Like I just I want to cuddle you. Like can you look? Like, you know, can you just be with me? Or Mom, can we go here? Or Mom, can we go there? Can we do this or whatever? It's like be what your kids need you to be. Because sometimes I feel like kids do things that kind of for example they might not tell you exactly what's made them feel away they kind of just come to you and be like mom um, I'm feeling sad or uh, can you help me or can you do this and it's like oh it's like yeah sure like just be there for them and be what they need you to be and comfort them and you know support them and I feel like within obviously the Somali community it's just literally like even when it comes to for example, Zainab, you know how Duxi is. Um, our parents would tell us to go Duxi and stuff like that. But it's like um, that that could also be something our parents teach us in a way as well in our household, you know, or something they can do with us. Yeah, 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 exactly. And and I feel like there's obviously a lot of improvements to be made, but our parents have raised us um in a great way and in a great manner but there's also ways that for example the ways that we were taught and the way the the way we were raised kind of helps us navigate and become a parent for our kids because then we know all right well this didn't work for me and um I kind of or my parents told me life this way or whatever and then it's like when you become a parent it's like okay now I know um how I would want to do things and how I would want to control things in my household yeah yeah, uh, I completely, I completely get that because um, one of the, one of the best things that growing up that um, our parents did for us is take us back to Somalia, mm-hmm. um, two thousand, and we came back two thousand and three. But what my dad continued after us staying in Somalia for three years and five months was teaching us Quran. Although my dad travelled a lot internationally, um, when he was in Australia, he would be a Duxi teacher. He would be a math teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. He would get rid of our tutor. He would get rid of our Quran teacher. Yeah, we went to. We all went to Flemington and North Melbourne, Dixie. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, but my dad felt it felt it was more rewarding him finishing way. the four times the teacher. Way that is literally. Um, you know, having that one-on-one with your child, I feel like your child would learn more from you than they would learn from a stranger. So it's like that is literally the most effective way for your kids to learn at a fast pace. If you want your kids to learn a new language or a new, uh, like a new um, hobby or something like that, take your kids out, like just make that bit of effort. Cause I feel like a lot of parents feel like, Oh yeah. Like they, maybe their kids might be, you know, a bit naughty or their kids, they'll feel like, nah, that my kids are not really going to listen to me. That's when you kind of take initiative and you're like, okay, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to go to this. And it's like, they will see the effort you're putting in and that could possibly change the relationship and how your kids view you. Do you understand? And also the amount of excitement you put into things, um, the amount of effort that you put in mm-hmm. with Quran, school, any sort of sporting or activity with your kids, um, if you give us, sorry guys, um, if you give a sort, like if you give um, a sort of energy that shows that you're excited about it, yeah, 100% of the time your child will be engaged and interested into the activity. Growing up, my mother used to take all my three brothers, literally on an hour drive to Alfington for them to play footy. They were not interested one single bit. I guarantee you, they did not want to go footy. But because my mom showed that momentum and she showed that type of energy, my mm-hmm. brothers decided to play footy. Muhammad nearly made it to the AFL. Ahmed decided, I'm just playing casual. Abdullah still plays. You know, they still play casually. But it also, routine and activities and things that you do with your kids as a family, it teaches them morals and <laughs> ethics. And, you know, it teaches them 
it teaches them life in a beneficial way long term mm -hmm. but wrecking your child yelling at them that stresses them out in ways that they don't understand why they're even stressing out so they're going to react the way you're reacting only in a way that they know how to express yeah and that's it's like it's very shocking like Asia's tantrums now guys it's so I feel so guilty but at the same time like I giggled when um, her childcare educator told me. Um, so every time I pray, Aisha's doing the sujood on the ground with me, putting her head to the ground. But when she puts her head to the ground, she doesn't know that I'm doing it gently. So whenever she gets upset now, she she sujoods like she's praying and she'll whack her head a little bit too hard. The educator called it a temper tantrum. And I was like, okay, thank you, Swandi. I'm like, I really appreciate you explaining this to me. I'm like, um, I don't think it's a temper tantrum. Aisha doesn't like the word no. And she's like, that makes it a temper tantrum. And I'm like, maybe just, I'm like, she just doesn't like the word no and doesn't like the, the word bye. I'm like, is there any other way you can, you can, no, seriously, guys, when I say bye, even if I'm going to the toilet, she has to go with me to the toilet because she doesn't like the word bye. She just, she does, she has a fear of missing her mom and dad. She doesn't like the word bye. You have to secretly disappear from her. Anyways, um, I kept repeating to her and I'm like, hey, Swandi, do you know my religious background? She's like, no. I said, I'm Muslim. And she's like, oh, you pray? And I said, yay, you got it. And then she's like, why are you laughing? And I'm like, because I pray. And I'm like, so the reason why my daughter is sujooding, and she's like, yes, sujood, sujood. Oh, yes, so she copies you. And I'm like, yeah, she copies me, but hitting her head. She just doesn't know how hard to go down, you know. She's just doing it too quickly. She's hurting herself. And she's like, yeah, you need to come back work as an educator today. We miss working with you. And I'm like, yes, Wandy, one day, one day. But, you know, I'm just letting you know, you know, it's not temper tantrum. Don't put a, don't make a whole entire report, want me to cite it and sign it when you can just, you know. And she doesn't have kids. But the fact that she took the energy, the time and the effort to write a little report and to make me understand how Aisha was trying to express herself when she heard something and the way she cried. And apparently the seven other kids started crying with her. They couldn't shut her up. It was pretty hectic. That's um, so adorable. And I, and I know, I obviously know that parenting can be quite overwhelming at times and quite exhausting. 100%. So what's like a technique that you guys use to restore your energy and to kind of have that bit of break that bit of um time to yourself what do you guys think what's the first thing you guys do whether it might be taking a hot bath bubble bath or going for a walk or talking to phone? personally i am a big advocate for meditation and like deep breathing mm -hmm. um so if i'm ever really stressed out by any sort of behavior i will just focus on my breath um affirm to myself that you know this is a normal part of child development and just to yeah just breathing deeply um i also love a herbal tea <laughs> i um any biscuits I love it. <laughs> yeah i like i like i make these like lactation cookies so i like to sit down with a cup of tea and a cookie that helps me to to regather myself that's lovely what about you zay if I'm tired sometimes, to be honest, I nap with Aisha. Lately, she's, she's cut off her two-day naps. She would be napping now and then napping later on the Arvo. Um, but she's completely cut that out. So she goes to sleep once a day now, for nearly three hours. Mm -hmm. And if, I'm, if I don't yeah, have much nice. to do, yeah, I know, because she wakes up at 4 a.m. for an hour. Oh, so that's like, not nice. I'm done with these molars. They need to pop out. Yeah. Done. They need to pop out. And and sorry to say this, but you know, for a breastfeeding mum with a teething child, That's I'm bruised. Nice at all. <laughs> that is not nice. I'm bruised. I'm bruised. MashaAllah You know, she takes out her frustration out on me. She doesn't mean it. This is what I mean by they don't know how to express their emotions. They just use whatever it is that they can They're use at that time. They're just a big bundle of emotions. Yeah. That's what babies are. Yeah. Oh, look at her. I was talking about her. She ran to me, guys. It's so Did cute. you say something, Anita? <laughs> yes. I told Zay to enjoy those naps because once you have your second child, there's, there's no naps. <laughs> oh, dear Lord. <laughs> Trust me, you and, you and Ilhan, Ilhan um, Farhan's life have, have, have been like, you know, through communications, I'm realizing what you guys are going through. And I applaud you guys. And you guys are strong 
Mama is, yeah. I feel like it's like it's very empowering, especially when you have not only family, um, you know, you have family that are good uh, role models and how they are to their kids. I mean, everyone has kids is kind of quite inspiring to me. And not only does it educate me, but then it kind of makes me feel more comfortable with motherhood because I see how my nephews or nieces or any of my cousins and how they're raised and I'm just like wow like they can do it I can do it you know and I just feel like yeah. all, of them, all of them have different styles of parenting but that's what makes them, yeah. them you know and I feel like it's very, very empowering to see everyone have their different styles of parenting and raising their kids and you know especially in in, in the in the family circle so I condemn you guys and honestly you guys are very strong and and very powering um and honestly um i can't wait to see you guys when i come back to melbourne <laughs> i want to kind of see you are coming um i should be coming maybe at the end of this year or next year um hopefully i'm uh, kind of settling in here and then once i do um, guys can you guys not count this year as a year just say 2021 <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I just want to say thank you guys for obviously um, joining me on this podcast um, I really appreciate you guys hopping on here and I know a lot of people will definitely benefit from um, a few words by you guys so thank you guys for um, hopping on here thank you good thank to you speak to you guys us. thank you